there are some essential differences between a boss and leader. I call a boss a boss man. And he's the guy that everything's black and white. Nothing is gray. He tells instead of teaches. He's not empathetic. He's up on a pedestal. He sits in an ivory tower. He talks down on people or she. And a leader is somebody who's empathetic, who's a human, who knows the nuance, who knows the grays and can distinguish and can lead. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our co-host today is Jody Mayberry from JodyMayberry.com and host of the new Park Leaders Podcast. Hey, Jody. Hi, Jared. Today, we're fortunate to speak with Terry Starbucker. Terry Starbucker St. Marie is a native Midwesterner living in Portland, Oregon. Terry has 30 years experience in the business and entrepreneurial world engaged in what he calls more human leadership. Terry is currently a leadership consultant, strategist, coach, and angel investor. His focus is on leadership, business execution, and customer care. Terry, it is a pleasure to have you. Jody and I are ready to practice more human leadership. Welcome to the show. Cool. Guys, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me today. Our pleasure. So everybody that we talk to, we always ask the same question to kick off, and that's what is the best concert that you have ever been to? 1977, Led Zeppelin, Chicago Stadium. Oh, wow. That's got to be a good story to that. Uh, It's not a bad one. I remember waiting in line. I lived in Milwaukee at the time. And there was three buddies and I had just gone to see the movie, The Song Remains the Same, right? Remember that one? You don't remember that one. (laughs) I'll let Jody answer that one. (laughs) It was this fantasy thing with Led Zeppelin. And I was really obsessed with Led Zeppelin 4 and all that. So when the concert got announced, I remember waiting in line for a long, long time. And for this concert in Chicago, and we got the tickets, and all of a sudden we looked at him and said, an obstructed view of Led Zeppelin on the ticket. And I'm like, what? An obstructed view? I waited in line for 12 hours for an obstructed view? Turns out the old Chicago Stadium had like poles and things. And well, we weren't going to miss this, so we went. I remember taking a Greyhound bus down there. It was one of those really just memorable evenings where it was an old Chicago stadium before they built a new one. And it was just full and Led Zeppelin was their last one, their last tours with John Bonham. And it was just an electric night and they played everything just really, really well. And of course the crowd was into it. It was quite a memory. Did they play Since I've Been Loving You? I don't recall that one, but I do recall like Cashmere and Stairway oh, wow. to Heaven and Living, Loving, She's Just a Woman. Anyway. Let's roll in to finish this sentence. And Jody, if you would kick us off. Terry, if you ever eat at Smokehouse 21 in Portland. Yes. Can you finish that sentence? If I ever eat at Smokehouse 21 in Portland, I eat one of the finest barbecue meals I'll ever have. So you recommend that to anyone visiting the Portland area? I do. And if anybody comes that listens to this, that comes through for whatever purpose or whatever conference or what have you, let me know. We'll go to Smokehouse 21. All right, Terry, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm planning to go to World Domination Summit. All right, well, some, uh, then we're some going. Good barbecue. We are going. <laughs> All right, I'm putting that in the calendar. All right, the next finish this sentence. My favorite thing about ordering a latte and a smile at the Fresh Pot on Southwest Washington is... My favorite part about ordering a latte with a smile is the fact that I get not only a good tasting coffee, but I get a great vibe from some great people, which is what Portland is all about. Duly noted. Let's roll into blank versus blank. We'll give you two options, and if you'd pick one and maybe a short reason why, go ahead, Jody. Okay, Terry, we're starting out with a tough one. Elvis Presley versus Elton John. 
my gosh, you guys are really did your research, didn't you? <laughs> I'll take Elton. Any particular reason? Goodbye Albuquerque Road was like the first album that I really just really got into. I remember getting it, it was October of 73. Love Lights Bleeding, Saturday Nights I Ride for Fighting, and I've been a big fan ever since. Okay, moving on to the next blank versus blank, people versus process. That's easy. People, that's what more human leadership is all about. You got to put the people first. Well said. Okay, Terry, sales pitch versus value pitch. Well, you know, I like the value pitch because that's what I talked about at Pioneer Nation, which was another one of Chris Gillibo's events here in March. And that is you're selling something beyond the product itself. And I always use the example of Zappos shoes and uh, Tony Shea, where he's, he's not selling shoes, he's delivering happiness. And that's the value of happiness that he's selling with every pair of shoes. And that's what I mean by pitching value. Terry, the last blank versus blank, the will to succeed versus the hope to survive. Well, I like the will to succeed because it's one of those leadership battles because a lot of leaders use the word, we hope, we hope we're going to do this and we hope we're going to do that. And sometimes hope leads you down the path to failure, even though hope is a good thing and people like to keep hope alive. But I think what the expectation of leaders is these days is to have what Jim Collins calls in good to great level five leadership, which is a blend of humility, but this thing called will, where it's kind of this silent but yet ever present will to really want to be successful. And I think every great leader needs to have that. We're going to move on to true or false. So we'll give you a short statement and you tell us if it's true or false. Nice guys really do finish last. False. Can you tell us a little why? Well, first of all, I'm going to do a little Kobayashi Maru here on you and say that that's not even a fair question because I don't like to use it. I think the word nice is just like this one obtuse word that doesn't mean anything. So I'm just going to say that I think good people always do well. And I think the word nice is a horrible word. So I'm not even going to answer. That was a nice answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Next. Now that we're, now we're on the same page on that one. The next true or false, mistakes should not be tolerated, especially big mistakes. That's false because it depends what kind of mistake it is. And I think I wrote a post about this just last week about this uh, U.S. Airways situation where this tweet went out that was clearly inappropriate, very inappropriate, and yet they decided not to fire this person because they declared it an honest mistake. And I think humans can be humans and they do make honest mistakes. And I think in these firing decisions, you've got to be really cognizant of the human side of it. And so, yeah, not all mistakes are created equal. Well said. Okay, our last true or false. When you set a price, you are sending a signal. True. And I think we talked about this at Pioneer Nation when I did a pricing seminar. And, you know, it was really interesting how people really responded to that one, especially sole proprietors and people doing their own thing and putting themselves out there, their services, and they're worried about what to price it. And I think notoriously, people underprice themselves. They undervalue themselves. And sometimes they go out there and say, yeah, I'm worth it. Yeah, I'm X amount of dollars, which is 20, 30, 40, 50% higher than what they think it should be. That's usually the right place to be because it sends the right signal that I'm worth it. Wow. So, Terry, I've got a question. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the name Starbucker? Where does that come from? Starbucker came in the mid-2000s. Is that the right way to say it? The double knots? Or in the mid-2000s. The mid-2000s. Yes. When I had this incredibly big habit of stopping at Starbucks every morning. 
um, my way to work when I was living in Connecticut and it was in Stanford, Connecticut. I would get there at the same time every day, quarter to nine, and I would order the same drink. It was grande latte. And so I got to the point where I would be walking in the parking lot and they would see me and they would have the drink waiting for me with my name on it when I walked in. <laughs> They kind of affectionately called me Starbucker guy, and that carried over when I started my blog on December 25th, 2005, and I needed a handle because I was a corporate executive, and I didn't really want my employees to know my feelings about cats and American Idol and whatever I was writing about at the time, which wasn't leadership quite yet. So I said, I need a name. And so I took that name, Starbucker, and I plopped it on there just as an afterthought. And it's taken on a life of its own. I would tell people my first name. And when I go back and forth, and this is even before Twitter and Facebook, and people would communicate just through blog comments, and I would introduce myself. And then they started connecting Terry and Starbucker together. And next thing you know, I got the URL, and Terry Starbucker took on a life of its own. Cool. Well, Terry Starbucker is how I was introduced to you at Pioneer Nation. I know that's what you yes, taught your course yes. under. So. Can you tell us about your experience at Pioneer Nation? Yes, it was really fantastic for me because, and I think more so than anything else, what, what Chris and his team did for me was ask me to step a little bit out of my comfort zone. And they said, you know what, Terry, you can go ahead and teach a pricing workshop. Now, if you look at my blog, I do not talk about pricing. <laughs> I talk about more human leadership. And I know I was a businessman. I mean, I know what I think I know. But what I think was the whole spirit of Pioneer Nation was to dig in and learn new things and share that learning with other people. I think that was the nature of these workshops. And I went to several of them, including the one, of course, that I did. I think the thing that really hit me was the power of the shared learning concept. I mean, I was up there talking about pricing, sharing learning that I had done, and then it was coming back to me. And if you recall that session, it was very interactive. People were just throwing things out there, back and forth. And I just think it's a wonderful concept. And I was really impressed with the way it was nurtured and pushed along by Chris Gillibo and their team. And so that's what I really like most about it. So, Terry, can you tell us the difference between a boss and a leader? Well, I can tell you that there are some essential differences between a boss and leader. I call a boss a boss man. And he's the guy that everything's black and white. Nothing is gray. He tells instead of teaches. He's not empathetic. He's up on a pedestal. He sits in an ivory tower. He talks down on people or she. And a leader is somebody who's empathetic, who's a human, who knows the nuance, who knows the grays and can distinguish and can lead. I think someone put on, and I tweeted it out yesterday, guys, I thought it was so cool. It was just this little drawing that somebody had done to, to point out what they would consider to be the essential difference between a boss and a leader. And a boss would say, go. And a leader would say, let's go. And that was just so subtle, but so good in terms of the description of the difference between a boss and a leader. A leader pulls people together. A leader goes for a cause that's greater than themselves, and they teach, and they lead, and they feel. And I think that's the essential difference. Terry, you're big on more human leadership. So what does it mean to be more human? Well, being more human for me involves, I narrowed it down to about eight different things, and I'll just rattle them off real quick because I think they're really important. I think the essence of being a more human leader, for one, is what I call crossing the bridge from I to we. And that is, as I was saying, this difference between go and let's go. It can't be about you. It has to be about a team. And you have to eliminate almost I from your vocabulary. 
The second principle to me is being a promise keeper and having high integrity and being able to ask for trust and getting it. And that's very important too. Then, of course, you have to live under a set of values. As a leader, you have to establish key values and almost have a mantra of values. And it's really the glue that holds everybody together. Then next, you have to find and teach other leaders, other more human leaders. It's a legacy that has to be passed on. And then here's the core of it, guys, to real more human leadership. And this is kind of a thing that people think is contradictory to being more human, and that is building a culture of accountability. And what I mean by that is setting the right expectations, having the right job descriptions of what people are doing, why they're doing it, what difference they make in an organization, and then holding people accountable to it. Now, that sounds like being tough. But if you've laid down values and and you've asked for trust and you've got it, people will follow along and they will take that responsibility. I call like a shared responsibility for everybody to live up to these expectations. And then, of course, you have to have the right metrics once you set this accountability. And I'm all about metrics. I was an accountant, believe it or not, and when I started my career, a bean counter, and I had gotten trained, I think I used the word spreadsheet assassin is the word that I think people said when I first, my first leadership job, and I was, you know, the spreadsheet guy that was cutting budgets, letting go staff, and doing things like that, and I converted to the human side. What did stay with me is the need to be able to have the right numbers to manage with, and it's the old saying, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. I think Drucker said that. So I think great metrics are good. You know, the next one is I think you're always going to hit trouble. You're going to get a stiff wind or you're going to get people that are going to try to knock you over because there's a lot of legacy towards the old ways and complacency. And, you know, why do we have to keep going higher? Why do you have to keep raising the bar? Because why can't we just stay where we are? It's comfortable. Or then there's the naysayers that say this isn't the way to go. You can't lead people this way. And I think being able to fight that is important. And then lastly, guys, and I think this is where the heart comes really in, and that is, I think every human, and then this is what I found out when I really made my conversion to more human leadership, is that really when I started connecting with people at the ground level, the line staff, the people that were interacting with customers, what I realized is what they wanted to do is have a good reason to get out of bed every morning. They wanted to go to a workplace that was fun challenging, could demonstrate their pride in their jobs and their empathy with their customers. And then they could go home at night and feel proud of what they've done. And once I realized that, then I knew I could connect everything we were doing to that higher purpose. And the higher purpose was serving customers and supporting each other. That was the mantra that I had in my corporate job. And when everybody rallied around that, then it became even higher level to that. And it became a team. It became a family. And then in a sense that you could actually use that four-letter word that sometimes isn't spoken in the hallways. And, you know, that was love. I mean, we had a bond. I was with a group for seven years from 2003 to 2010. That was one of the best experiences in my life. And it was the best experience because we did apply these eight principles. And we built a culture of more human leadership. And, and we were fabulously successful, not only financially, but on a human basis. I was so personally fulfilled and the employee base was happy. And that's what I call the trifecta. It's the business success, it's the team happiness, and the personal fulfillment. And you really can't have success without those three things. And that's really what more human leadership is all about. I really think there's something there. I'd like to hear more about that, but I'm also going to move on. We touched on Pioneer Nation, and I was in your pricing workshop, and that was just a tremendous course and very interactive. There were a lot of good things about pricing. What are some of the common mistakes entrepreneurs make when pricing their product or service? 
Well, I think the first one is something we mentioned earlier today on this conversation, earlier today, about 20 minutes ago, was the fact that I think most people underprice themselves. They don't have enough confidence to step up to the plate and say, this is my value. This is what I really think I'm worth. And they underprice. I think another big thing that happens is that they fail to understand that it's a value pitch, not a sales pitch. And I think we talked about that before and understanding what they're really selling I also think that people think that there's what they call a mythical perfect price, right? That there's one spot, $9.99, $49.99, or whatever it is, and that's going to get maximum revenue from every single customer. And I think a lot of the concepts that we talked about to respond to that mistake was some of these concepts of price segmentation. And a lot of people don't do that and bracketing and being able to understand that there's different layers of customers there that you're trying to attract. And then rather than just having one price by having three prices and then structuring them the right way that you're going to not only maximize your sales, you're going to maximize your profit. And then the last one is that people believe that you can never change your prices once you put them out there. Like if you say, okay, this is the price that you can never change it. I think that's just patently untrue because there's always going to be on both sides of the fence. There's going to be the value perception on the customer side. And there's also going to be the product itself and the improvements that you make and your need to get more value for that. So people really shouldn't think that, you know, once you put a price out there, it's always going to be that price. And I think the point that I made in my presentation was that for every price success, there are a hundred failures. So I think bottom line is you got to go out there and you got to try. You just got to put stuff out there and see what happens. I've heard you mention value a few times. And I was wondering what should the listener consider when they're trying to determine how to show their product or service is different than their competitors? Wow. Well, I think that involves a lot of things. I think a lot of it becomes with, first and foremost, how you present yourself. I think we had a long discussion about how you set a message with your price. But, you know, it's also important in how your appearance is. Let's say you're selling something online. And I think they said something about your website has to reflect your price. In other words, if you're trying to charge a higher price for something, if your product is expensive, make your website look expensive. And I think that's a really important point. Another one is the message and your verbiage and I think a lot of people, and we didn't talk about this much at the workshop, but I think a lot of people are really poor at trying to delineate in a verbal way or in a writing way what the value perception really, really is. And because it's not just sticking a price up there and saying, here's the product. I think there's a lot that goes beyond that in terms of all the features and the benefits. And, and a lot of that's pretty, you know, you, it's selling 101 stuff. But I think when you're trying to distinguish yourself from somebody else, it's that je ne sais quoi, right? What makes it different? What is a silver bullet that says this product, this service is better than the other guy because? And I think how you answer that question is so critical. And so you need to be able to verbalize it. You need to be able to write it. And I think a lot of clients that I have when you sit down and you ask them that question, you ask them to write that out and say, okay, what's your key distinguishing difference? What's your silver bullet? I'm just surprised at how much they struggle to do that. And then when you talk about it and then you put it on print, and then I use the example of a gelato spoon when I talk about showing the value. And I think everybody knows the experience they have in a gelato shop. You walk up to the counter and you can sample any product you want. And of course, one way to do that for the salesperson is just give them, you know, okay, dig the spoon and give them the product. But how you describe that product makes it a lot different. It increases the value. At the workshop, for example, I started waxing poetic with here's the spoon and it was the cream was from Italy and it was made by hand in the back room and it used the sugar from this field in Louisiana. And see, by describing in such flowery terms and such relatable terms, 
firearms, all of a sudden that gelato is probably worth $5 a scoop instead of $2 a scoop. So it's all in how you create that value pitch. Very good. So can you tell us why customer feedback is important? Well, customer feedback to me is like gold. And what do I mean by that? Well, gold is a precious resource that has a great value. And customer feedback is exactly that. I don't think you can actually serve customers with a great product without asking them about that. Now, for example, in my cable television career, I had a service that actually called customers up. And I did this for seven years. I made over one million calls to customers over the course of seven years every time they had a transaction with us. And I asked them, how did the transaction go? What do we do right? What do we do wrong? And then I also asked them what we call the ultimate question, which is the basis for customer satisfaction index called the net promoter score. And I don't know how many of your listeners have heard of that, but it's really a question that says this, on a scale of zero to 10, how likely would you be to recommend this product to a friend or a relative? And that answer is very, very critical to determining how popular that product is. Because if they give you a nine or a 10, they're basically telling you that they're willing to recommend that, they're willing to be word of mouth customers for you, and they're gonna go out and say, hey, you should buy this product. And on the other hand, if they give you a zero to six, they're telling you that even though they bought your product and they take your product, they don't like it very much and they're gonna tell their friends about it. And they're 10 times more dangerous out there. So if you don't know that, if you're not getting that feedback, you're missing out on so much in terms of how to improve your product. So to me, it's really gold. Terry, what are the keys to successful execution? Well, I think really with execution, it goes back to a lot of some of my principles of more human leadership. And you have to build the right team. You have to have the right values in place. You have to connect it all to a higher purpose. And I think that the most critical thing of all is that you have to make it relatable to your team. And I'll give you a great example. I tried to get execution from a team that really didn't care much about profit. And I think a lot of people think relate execution to profit. And it makes sense because that's what a business to do, make money. And as employees of it or as owners of it, you have a responsibility to do that. However, when you're trying to lead a team and you're trying to actually execute down the road, again, the line employee isn't necessarily going to be concerned about gross margins and cash flow percentages and profit percentages. Again, they're going to be concerned about going to work every day, making an honest living, getting paid, and having a reason to get out of bed in the morning. So the successful leader to really execute has to be able to connect all those dots very deftly, in my mind, to say that, yes, on the one hand, I've got a responsibility to that constituency above me who's looking for profit, is looking to make budget, is wants a return on investment. But on the other hand, when I try to relate that all the way down the line, I can't just take that and push it down. Because if I do, I'm not going to execute very well. I have to take that and then relate it to what the line employees are doing and create metrics for them that give them a sense of accountability and build the culture of accountability and then push that team forward. And then the profit and the margins will take care of itself. So that's really essentially the secret to execution is to be able to take those upper level goals and then make them totally relatable all the way down to the line employees so they're all aligned. Terry, as we begin to wrap up, who is doing something that interests you? Wow, that's a good question. I think what I'm really enjoying these days, guys, is a lot of the writing that's going out there by some great authors about more human leadership. I'll give a great example. A couple months ago, I talked to a guy named Richard Sheridan, and he works at a company called Menlo Innovations in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And he wrote this book called Joy, Inc., And I thought it was one of the most interesting books that I've ever read about a business culture. I mean, here was a guy that wrote this book about, you know, the reason why we exist is to create joy. And this goes back to my, what I was saying earlier about profit. You know, he's got no walls. He sits in the middle of the room. 
He's still using three by five cards and paper. He pairs up his employees in twos to work together, which is kind of another one of these out of the box things. But yet he was this very approachable human, great person that I talked to. And then I got a chance to talk to him. It really got to me. Then I just came across, I'd been reading this guy's column for years. It was Adam Bryan. He wrote a column called The Corner Office in the New York Times. And he published it twice a week in the business pages. And I was very curious about it. And he wrote this book as well about leadership and quick and nimble, it was called. And so I reached out to him and I ended up talking to him. And what I'm really realizing, guys, is that, and these are the people that are really attracted to me, is that I guess like minds do attract each other. And lately, because of my curiosity about more human leadership and what it's all about, I think the greatest joy and satisfaction I've gotten lately, guys, was finding these people that share that point of view in maybe a slightly different way and having the ability, like you guys are doing today, to talk to me. I'm also a podcaster too, and I've got a podcast and I'm getting a chance to talk to these people and it's been a fantastic experience for me. And those are just two names that I throw out there for everybody to go look up because they're fantastic. Uh, there's more. I just talked to Pam Slim, who's somebody I think you guys probably might know, and uh, Jonathan Field. And I talked to Chris Gillibo about six weeks ago, and that was an enlightening discussion too, but it all centers around this more human business concept. And that's really my love. That's my passion these days. As you can tell, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Terry, what is the best place for the listeners to read your blog and listen to your podcast and connect with you online? Well, you can find me. The two best ways would be on my blog at www.terrystarbucker.com. That's www.terrystarbucker.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at at Starbucker. I have my link to my blog there as well. And on my blog, you'll find the link to my podcast. I'm on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. And there's videos, there's posters, and you can kind of get a sense of where I'm coming from about more human leadership. But I really appreciate, guys, the opportunity to talk to you today. And I love your questions. And I love the homework that you guys do. Bravo. Well, thanks, Terry. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Well, my classic sign-off for my blog posts and my podcast are two words, and I will leave them with you. Lead well. Lead well. Terry, we really appreciate your time. Best wishes to you and everything you're doing. Uh, Thank you again. Uh, Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. essence of being a more human leader for one is what I call crossing the bridge from I to we. And that is, as I was saying, this difference between go and let's go. It can't be about you. It has to be about a team and you have to eliminate almost I from your vocabulary. The second principle to me is being a promise keeper and having high integrity and being able to ask for trust and getting it. And that's very important too. Then of course, you have to live under a set of values. As a leader, you have to establish key values and almost have a mantra of values. And it's really the glue that holds everybody together.